0: Hey everybody, welcome to Sunday School from this Sunday, January the 17th. We are continuing our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans. Stick around today and find out what Paul meant when he talked about the strong and the weak and how he worked to heal divisions in the early church. Join us. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for all that you've done for us. We ask that you would be with us, guide us, and help us in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, welcome to week two. You have made it through one week and decided to come back again, which is a testimony to each and every one of you. So let's take a look at our, uh, our slideshow for this week. There it is, and um, there we go. So there it is. I uh, hope you can see that. We, the, the reason for those illustrations will become apparent here in a few minutes. We're going to work through Romans 14.1 through 15.13 this week. So we're going to start getting into actual content as opposed to just context. So there is Phoebe, a picture of Phoebe from uh, our discussion last week. So picture her i found an icon this is actually an icon i don't know from when of phoebe uh you know the greeks and the eastern orthodox like their icons so there's phoebe um remember that she was the messenger for this she was the one reading this to the five churches in rome um she uh let's see here should do that um she uh, was Paul's chosen handpicked messenger. If we recall, she was likely fairly wealthy, obviously uh, a huge part of the early church. Um, it would believed that she was a, a financier for, for a lot of the early disciples. So, so Phoebe's incredibly important in our story. And so I think it's useful if you just kind of have her running on in the background. Like when you hear the letter, maybe if it helps you just imagine uh, a woman Standing and reciting what you're what we're hearing or what we're reading. And maybe that'll help uh kind of with some of the other stuff. Um, remember there were at least five churches in Rome, those were composed of Jewish and Gentile Christians. Um, they uh that's the source of a lot of the conflict that Paul's gonna get to is the difference between Jews and Gentiles. So uh you got to keep that running in the background as well. It's going to be a big focus of our conversation today. So I'm not exactly going to let you forget. (laughs) um, But uh, it'll be, you just need to make sure that if we don't talk about it for a little while that you remember who our constituencies are there in Rome. So that's a quick rundown of last week. Since we met, did anybody have any questions uh, or comments or anything um, that they wanted to discuss before we, we really get going further with, with this week?
1: I don't think I like starting at the back and going forward. <laughs>
0: Me
1: too. <laughs> you know, that said, I do read the back of a, a novel uh-huh. before I finish it uh-huh. to see if it's worth finishing, but this i right. do for.
0: Well, we'll see how this works. This is the first time I've ever tried this, and this is the first book I've ever come across that, um, that does it this way for any letter. Now, the, the upside of it is, as you can see in Romans, all the context is established at the end, so um, it does it, it it does help in those senses. So we'll see. I mean, I get it it's though. It's gonna try. be hard to do, and it's it's hard <laughs> to, to structure the classes. But I we'll see if it helps. We'll see. I don't know, but thanks. Yeah, your feedback is helpful for if we ever try this again. Um, and you may vote with your feet over the coming ten weeks. So we'll see how this goes. Any other questions or comments? Okay, we're going to get underway with our stuff this week. So again, we're gonna we're gonna jump around, which kind of gets to the point that uh, Terry was making there. That this is not going to be the easiest thing in the world going backwards. Um, I'll try to make sure uh, that in the first focus, I put the 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 scripture that we're going to be looking at this week, so you can at least, if you want to, try to read it ahead of time. Um, To maybe give yourself some idea of where we're headed. So anyway, so we had a lot of context last week. Now we're going to get into the meat of things. So we're going to hop around a little bit. Um, We are going to uh, get more into the Jewish and Gentile thing, as I mentioned. Um, Now remember too, uh, the Emperor Claudius, I put his dates there, 41 to 54 AD, uh, probably kicked out our Jewish Christians. For a period of years. So there was a time there where the only Christians in Rome would have been Gentile Christians. Um, And so they returned under Emperor Nero uh, and found their churches had been filled with Gentiles. Uh, So here we get to the real issue. In Paul's mind, these two groups have to get along and they aren't. Um, They are struggling. You see this In almost every single church that Paul is writing to in the Gentile world, you have Jews in communities throughout the Roman Empire who are coming into Christian communities. And for the first time, they are having to practice their religion with non-Jews. So it's a real challenge, um, and it's going to be a big part of what we do. So let's look at Romans 15:1 through six, uh, which is going to, you know, I'll, I'll read it and then I'll say a few things about it. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to go back to the first. Now you've heard it. I'm going to give you a second to just read through it again if you can see the screen. I'm not going to read it to you, uh, but just. Give it a quick read. Get those words in your mind. Okay. All right. The strong and the weak. So uh, McKnight is going to use these terms throughout his book, the strong and the weak. Uh, he's going to keep coming back to them. So we'll return to them over and over again throughout the rest of our study, the strong and the weak. Um, And so what McKnight is arguing is that these are, for lack of a better word, kind of uh, archetypes that Paul has identified in the Roman church, the strong and the weak. So who are they? What's it matter? Uh, Here's a quote from McKnight. Perhaps the most significant contextual factor in reading Romans is coming to terms with the identity of the strong and weak in Romans 14:1 to fifteen thirteen. To anticipate where we are headed, this means the most significant contextual factor is about the believers in Rome oh. learning to be siblings with every other believer. The instructions to the weak and the strong are the core of Paul's lived theology and the aim of the entire letter. Okay, so that's a big claim, and he's saying that if you don't understand these two camps or factions within the Roman church, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding Romans as a whole. Um, certainly, you can't understand most of Paul's letters if you don't understand this tension between Jew and Gentile. The reason that we need to study this and the reason we need to pay attention to it today is because it's a, it's a helpful reminder that the church has always struggled with division and churches love to break into factions, resisting that in any individual congregation or group of congregations is vital. uh, And we're really poor at it. Most of you who have been in the church for any amount of time in your life have experienced this breaking off into factions. So while in Paul's time, The factions were represented by the Jews and the Gentiles, by the strong and the weak. uh, It's important that we don't just stop these words because we aren't having the exact same problems. Uh, Our divisions and differences uh, are just as real. And Paul has the exact same thing to us. To say, as he said to them, which is nicely summarized there, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a strong statement of unity, of oneness. Paul makes these over and over and over again in his letters, um, and it's to the church's detriment when we fail to view these as commandments or significant instructions for our life together in any age. So uh, don't just check out because he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Bring that into our modern age. It's going to give us context, but it's also going to give us guidance. Okay, so who were the strong? They were predominantly Gentiles. They believe Jesus is Messiah. Here's a key one. They do not observe Torah law. So what's that mean? That means they don't have any dietary restrictions on what they eat. It means they don't care if males are circumcised or not. And then it just goes on from there. They don't observe a Sabbath. Those are going to be the key practical things that, uh, that are manifest in their lives. So it's not going to matter so much if they observe kind of obscure Deuteronomic teachings about the law. There's over 600 laws in the Torah. Uh, The ones where the rubber really hits the road are the ones that I've named for you. Circumcision, food, and then observance of the Sabbath. Those were the primary things that set apart Jews from the other people around them uh, in the Roman world. So Gentiles just simply didn't believe that those things mattered. Okay, let's look at the weak, and then we'll pause to see if you have any questions. Who are the weak? They are Jewish believers who are in the stream of God's election. We'll get to what that means as the weeks unfold. They knew the Torah, knew it well, just like Paul, who knew the Torah and knew it well. They practiced it, and they may also have attended synagogue in addition to church, so they may have been uh, covering all their bases, just like those of you who go to Episcopal churches and then Presbyterian churches. Same thing. That should be common. Uh, And they are judgmental of Gentiles, especially Gentile Christians. They absolutely believe that if you are a Christian, you should be following Torah law. So uh, there's simply uh, no way for them to separate. Jewish practice from Christian belief so that's your strong and your weak let's pause for a second where are you do you feel like you, you got what we're talking about here you got questions you got comments Phil can you hear me I can Greg yeah go ahead
1: um but uh, we're told that the Gentiles were condescending
0: mm-hmm.
1: toward the Jews hmm it seems to me like maybe they didn't have to be condescending. <laughs> I mean, I know
0: <laughs> like they were conflict. I mean, promoting the conflict or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the legalism? Yeah. So they thought the Jews had bad theology. They, they fully understood Jesus uh, as being kind of the purpose here. And they didn't think that the Torah really had a lot for them so they didn't see a reason to learn it. You can bet your bottom dollar that the men were not in any hurry to get circumcised. You can also bet that they were not in any hurry to change their dietary habits. Like the the dietary thing, we went over a little bit in previous Sunday schools. It's really complicated. I'm not gonna bore you with it, but just know that it was really, really difficult. Um, and it may just stick out like a sore thumb if you tried to observe Torah dietary restrictions. I really, I really can't think of a, like, I mean, this isn't what it's like, but if you imagine if you uh, tried to live an entirely liquid-based diet here in the United States, how much that would make you stand out. Like if someone invited you over for dinner and they were having hamburgers, And you said, I would love to come, but you'll need to make me a kale smoothie. And you had to do that every (laughs) single time you ate with other people. You can understand how quickly you would start to feel isolated and ostracized and how people would stop inviting you over to their cookouts after a while because they didn't want to make your kale smoothie and they didn't want to feel judged for having a hamburger. It's the same idea with uh, dietary restrictions in the ancient world. So it was a big problem. They didn't want to do that stuff. So they had a, they had a theological, uh, they had a a real world reason for their theology, Greg. And I think that led to a lot of conflict. They wanted to be Christian, but if being Christian meant the men had to get circumcised and they had to fundamentally change what they ate, then, uh, then they weren't in line for that. And I think if you impose that on modern America, uh, the line to get into church would be pretty short. Um, so they had a lot to lose if they lost the argument. So they were not feeling, I don't think, particularly gracious about it. And then when you factor in too that the Jewish Christians had been likely kicked out of Rome for some time. So the Gentiles had been running things their way for a while. And then the Jewish Christians come back into town and uh, there's a lot of tension there. Does that get to your question there, Greg?
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Other questions? Even just for clarification, no problem. Okay, I'm going to keep us going then. So we've looked at the strong and the weak. Now we're going to see how Paul uses scripture to reconcile these groups. So this is Romans 15, 7 to 13. It's picking up right where we left off with that passage about unity. Okay. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ is welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I'm going to stop there for a second. Look at what he's doing here. So this is a unifying theological passage. First, you who are strong, remember Jesus is a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth revealed to the patriarchs. So, Jesus remains faithful to those who practice Torah law on account of the promises made by God to Abraham and the like. Okay? So, Gentiles, the strong, do not throw the weak overboard. Jesus was ministering to them. Then... He does that in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So you who are strong, you should be glad that God is doing this because it testifies to his mercy. If God just threw them overboard now, after Jesus has come after all these centuries, what would that say about God? It would say that God is not merciful, and it would also probably say that God is not just. So you Gentiles should be glad that they are here, glad that God is merciful to them, and glad that God keeps his promises. Then we get a list of scripture citations. Uh, I have put next to these the Old Testament references, but Paul's getting ready to make a passel of Old Testament references. So here he goes. As it is written, quote, Therefore I will confess you, confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. That's from Psalm 18:49, also 2 Samuel twenty two fifty. 50. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Psalm 117. 1. And again, Isaiah says: The root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope, Isaiah 11.10. So these are five really Old Testament passages that Paul quotes to show that God had the Gentiles in mind, even as he was working through the Jewish people. Now, when you go and look in your Bibles, a lot of these things, uh, Gentiles is oops, Gentiles is often rendered in our translation as nations so in the Old Testament anytime you see nations that means non-jews the nations are non-jews so uh, so that if you're if you're looking at these and you say well it doesn't say Gentiles in my Bible it does it just translates it most likely as nations so therefore I will confess you among the nations and sing praises to your name same thing okay then in verse 13 may the God of Hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy spirit. So this is a reconciling passage to bring the strong and the weak together. It reminds the weak that God had the strong in mind during, uh, during the, the old times during, uh, the, the old Testament. And it reminds, uh, the strong that without the weak, they would not be there. Okay. So it's a unifying passage uh, Paul uses scripture to do this, and he uses theology to lay this foundation. Okay, we're going to stop the share for just a second if you have questions. That was a lot. That was thick. Let that be Romans. Any questions or comments?
1: Well,
0: yes, Shirley. Uh,
1: and God's covenant with Abraham he said that all people on earth would be blessed through Abraham. That would include Gentiles, all nations, right?
0: Correct, yes.
1: So I suppose that's an argument too for including the Gentiles in Christ's salvation.
0: Yes, I mean, there's. if you go back and look at the Old Testament, there's lots and lots of different arguments that Paul could have made here. Um, and that certainly is one as well. Absolutely. Yes. All the way back to the covenant. That's a great thing to cite, surely. Any other questions or comments? Okay. So you see the work Paul's doing to unify. Now let's get to the food problem um, here. Um, there we go. So Jews and Gentiles, ate different things. I've mentioned this. Paul says in 14.2, some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. So being vegetarian does not make you inherently weak. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is those who are trying to maintain Torah law, the Jewish Christians have tried to solve the problem of dietary issues in Rome by just simply becoming vegetarian. They just don't eat any kind of meat and that simplifies it for them. So Uh, So here is, this is a contrast that Paul's making. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Um, Gentiles had no qualms about anything they ate. Um, This problem manifests itself in numerous Paulian letters. Everywhere the gospel went, the issue of food and Sabbath were decisive, symbolic markers of faithful observance of the Torah. So this is reiterating what I said to you before everywhere in the Greek world that you found Jews, it was food and Sabbath that were part of the things that made people aware that someone was Jewish. It wouldn't have been inherently obvious most of the time. And then uh, you get a list. So you get Galatians, you get Acts, and then a ton of first Corinthians references this problem as well. So the food thing was a big problem. So now let's look at Romans 14, one through four. So we're getting to the, the back end of our passage as we read it backwards. So yes, go ahead.
1: Is, is the Sabbath thing, is it the day that they celebrated Sabbath or was it working on the Sabbath day?
0: Yes, is the answer to that question, Terry. Uh, Many of them, if they were able, would not have worked on Saturdays. um, And then they also would have gone to synagogue on Saturdays. So that would have clearly marked them out um, if they kept a different calendar than everybody else did. Uh, Has anybody been to Harvest Time uh, Bakery here in Fort Smith? Ken's been. uh, I can't see all of you. Um, So they're closed one day a week and they're closed on Saturday only business that I know in town that closes like that on a Saturday, but they're owned by Jewish folks. So they close on Saturday, Uh, just like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby are closed on Sundays. Um, It marks out, even in our world today, being closed on a weekend day kind of marks you out as, as practicing overtly your faith. So it would have done the same thing, same thing in, in Roman times. It would have marked you clearly, as a Jewish person. Thank you. That's a great question. Any other questions for clarification before we read this or other thoughts that you had? Okay, so welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall and they will be upheld for the Lord is able to make them stand." So here in Romans 14, this is almost all about food, but it meanders. Paul does this all the time and it's really difficult But he starts Romans 14 with food, and then he ends with food. So we'll end this. But here again, you see him making very strong, unifying statements. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. So don't hold this against each other. God's welcomed them, and they're beholden to God for their choices, not you. I don't mean you literally, but that's what I mean. Here we're skipping ahead to verse 13. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat Cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual edification. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God everything is indeed clean but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble the faith that you have have as your own conviction before god blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve but those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith or whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, uh, let's see what's next. Yeah, I'm going to read this anyway, and then we'll see where we are. Paul says he thinks all foods are clean. This goes right to the heart of the matter for the weak, as evidenced by the bracketed conversation about food in Romans 14, 1 through 3, and then again, 13 to 23. I'm going to stop because, see, again, we've gotten kind of heavy here and uh, it's thick. You see what I mean by Romans being thick? You kind of have to go word by word. You can see why it mattered that Phoebe was sent to deliver the letter. You couldn't just send any Joe into church and ask them to read this to a bunch of people who didn't have the text in front of them and were probably illiterate anyway and have them understand it. Phoebe had to deliver this material. She had to say it in such a way that was methodical, but clearly understood, and then she had to make sure that she was looking at the right people at the right times, the strong and the weak. So food is not a problem, but it could cause others to stumble. Questions? Is this food for food's sake, or is this food as an analogy for other sins? No, he's being literal here. Right now, he's being quite literal, So uh, the, the main issue without getting too deep in the weeds is idol meat. So you would have meat that was sacrificed in the temples, but then it was distributed for people to eat. And so you'd go to somebody's house and you might find out later that the chicken you're having was sacrificed to Poseidon or something. Well, if you're Jewish, that's a big deal. Think about your Ten Commandments. So you can't eat it. You can't eat it. For a Gentile Christian who understands their salvation through Jesus, it's just meat. Like, it doesn't matter. Poseidon's not real anyway. What's it matter? So they're going to eat it. So if you're a Gentile Christian, you're like, it doesn't matter. But yet it's causing this intense spiritual turmoil for the person next to you. Then Paul's point is like, stop eating it in front of them. Remember, we're worshiping in house churches here. So oftentimes we're sharing a meal together as part of our community worship. So if you got a bunch of Jewish Christians coming to your house church, don't serve them the chicken that was slaughtered at the temple of Poseidon, don't do that. It's gonna mess them up, even if you don't care, even if you know you're right, that's what he's saying. It's literally about food. So don't drink at an AA meeting. Exactly, that's exactly it, that is exactly it. Yeah, if somebody's on methadone, don't use meth in front of them. I mean, that's it. That's my policy. Right, I have the same policy, it's a smart one. So no. I mean, do use meth here at church. Yes, other questions?
1: Um, Phoebe ad- addressed the people in a house church and mm-hmm. it was both men and women. It wasn't like in a synagogue.
0: Right, yep, it was everybody. And not only was it men and women, it was slaves, it was merchants, and they were just all jumbled in together, ideally. They were not stratified like they would be in other parts of society, which is pretty significant. Uh, That also keeps a lot of conflict.
1: Both Jews and Christians were in these groups? Yes. Yep. Thank you.
0: Yep. (laughs) So you're getting if you if you heard that language about judgment, if you if you think one of the more famous verses in Romans, of which there are a lot, and we'll get to them, is Romans 2, which says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. So this theme is going to carry on through the whole thing. Like back to the food thing, like you can see how it would get annoying, right? Like you're having trying to have a meal at church. And, you know, Ken's over here and will only drink the kale smoothies. And you're like, geez, man, Ken must have bad faith. And, uh, and Ken, on the other hand, views that as integral to his faith. So Paul here is like, get over yourself. It doesn't matter. They're having a tough time with it. Their theology is not where your theology is. Eat what everyone can eat or don't eat together. That's it. Okay, let's go ahead and finish up our, uh, our PowerPoint here. Oh, that was the end, I think. Yeah, that was the end for today. So um, make sure. yeah. Okay, end of slideshow. There it went. Okay, um, so that was it. That, that got us through chapter 14. So you get the strong and the weak laid out. You identify the strong as Gentile Christians. You identify the weak as Jewish Christians. You understand that one of the main sources of conflict was food, but that was a manifestation of a greater conflict around the application of Torah law to Christians uh, in Rome and in Gentile communities. So this is a a fundamental problem. It's a fundamental challenge. Paul is doing difficult work. And if you think about it, it's work that in a lot of ways only he could do because Paul knew the Torah as well as almost anybody else who was going to be there. Uh, and had been persecuting Christians because they were idolaters and then had been converted through, uh, through the work of Jesus, called as an apostle to minister to the Gentiles. So you can see in this writing why someone like Paul was so important to unifying as best as possible these, these congregations. Excuse me, any final questions for today? Lucy. Yeah. um,
1: um, Jumping back to the circumcision thing. Yep. Like, who's to know who is? I mean.
0: Right. Great question. Who's to know who is? Remember that in the Roman world, uh, most um, hygiene activities were communal. And they were done naked. So men would go to the baths. um, And therefore, everybody would know. Uh, also like a lot of the toilets, um, didn't have individual stalls, communal toilet toilets didn't, uh, you would have just sat like right next to each other as if you were on a bench, uh, everybody going to the toilet at the same time. So in those places, and again, remember a lot of these folks are not wealthy, so they're not going to have, uh, baths or often toilets at their own home. They, I mean, they may have a bucket or whatever, or a pot, uh, uh but they don't. They're going to be going to communal places for a lot of their hygiene stuff. And so people would know. It can also make you very glad that you're not living in Roman times. Shirley?
1: Yes, um, it was forbidden for Roman soldiers to be circumcised. So there were um, members of Caesar's household who became Christians. So they also would not have been.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, I didn't even know that about the Roman soldier. And, and certainly it would have been demeaning in Roman society to be taking on some sort of Jewish practice. So mm-hmm. that's a great point, Shirley. And, and everybody would have known. The other men would have absolutely known if you were circumcised. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? So as we keep moving, what I hope you can take away from this is one, how challenging the early days of the church were, um, and how difficult the, the issues around Torah were for the first Christians, but also I hope you can take, uh, keep in mind, uh, that this has a lot of relevance for us today in terms of how we exist as wow. congregations and as the church. So, you know, we kind of want to have one foot in both worlds always. So anyway, okay, I'm going to wrap this up and, and I'm going to head over to, uh, to do outdoor worship. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for listening to Sunday School this week for January the 17th. I will have the podcast for next Sundays up as soon as we're finished with it. Thanks for being a part of this class and have a blessed week. Peace.